see one of the elders, uh, but, but Don's sort of the elder in charge of membership, so uh, we'd encourage you to contact him if you're interested. <clears throat> well, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Mark chapter 6, uh, not 16. My fingers went a little crazy. You will search in vain for this passage, but uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. And what we want to see this morning is the profile of a rejector. When we look at Herod, we find a man who is an enigma. We see someone who had some interest in the things that were going on in his realm of responsibility. He seemed to have a soft spot in his heart for John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist spoke out against him and the sin that he was engaged in. And yet we find that even though he had this soft spot, he never responded to the message. More than that, he eventually took the life of John the Baptist because of the stand that he took for what is right and righteous. And what we're going to see is Herod is actually a case study in rejecting because so many of the reasons that people give for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers are found in the attitudes that we can see in Herod as we read between the lines. So that's what we want to do this morning. We want to see this unusual man uh, and see what it is about him that perhaps someone you know, perhaps even you yourself, can identify with as we look at how he responded to the message of truth. Before we do that, though, let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, it's with the knowledge that we come to a passage of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, a passage of Scripture that is given so that we might understand more about you and even more about ourselves. So, Lord, as we look into this text, I pray that we would have receptive hearts. I pray that we would avoid the pitfalls that come through the attitude of one who rejects clear revelation given. And I pray, Father, that we would be more understanding of those who choose to reject the message of Jesus Christ. Give us insight and understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we want to see that rejectors look for any explanation other than the truth. Have you ever talked to someone and shared the gospel with them? And you can tell that it rings true with them. They hear your words. They understand the concepts. They might even agree with a lot of the concepts. And yet, as you progress to the point of sharing the gospel to where you ask would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? Would you like to enter a journey with God in your life? They say no. Now, I had a friend who had a solution for people like this. He says, well, if you're not going to pray, to, to pray the prayer of acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you pray the prayer of rejection? Would you pray with me right now, God, have nothing to do with me the rest of my life, leave me alone, 
I want nothing to do with you. And the person would always say, no. I don't want that either. Rejection can be interesting. And rejection can be something that causes people to come to a place to where they see the truth right in front of them, but they refuse to accept the truth. And that's what we find with Herod. Look at verse 14 of Mark chapter 6. and Notice it says this, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Now, when verse 14 talks about Herod hearing about something, we have to look at the context. And the context that we're looking at is the ministry of Jesus Christ. He had performed miracles. He had shared teaching with authority. And so Herod started to get word of this. He started to see this man named Jesus Christ who was doing something in his domain, in his kingdom. And he was wondering... What is this Jesus about? What is he doing? Who is he? And so, various explanations started to come forth. Additionally, Herod also heard about the disciples going out. And so, there was the understanding that the ministry of this Jesus mentioned in this passage was starting to spread through disciples. Now, when you're a puppet king of Rome... You don't want to hear about a new faith springing up. It causes difficulty in the community. So you want to keep things quiet. You don't want there to be any ripples. So in hearing about what was going on with Jesus and His ministry, there were explanations that started to come forth. And notice what we find as we continue in that 14th verse. After it states that King Herod had heard some of this, it says some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So, as Herod is looking for an explanation of Jesus' ministry, and as he's considering who Jesus might be, he's wondering what would be an explanation for someone able to do the miracles that Jesus is able to do? Now, this gives us an important insight. The miracles that Jesus performed were so convincing, so beyond the shadow of a doubt, that they couldn't give it some explanation like, gee, they're not really happening. People were able to see these things done right before their eyes. If they could have somehow debunked the ministries of Jesus Christ, don't you think they would have done it? Instead, they had to look for another explanation. Now, what's interesting about this is this. Herod had imprisoned John the Baptist. And we all know that John the Baptist had a particular message, a particular ministry. And that message and ministry was to share that one was coming after him who was the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The most logical thing for Herod to do as he sees Christ's ministry and hears about his power would be to say, oh, this is the Messiah. But you see, there was a conflict of interest. Herod was king. He didn't want to hear about another king coming on the side. So he wanted to dispel that idea. 
So what does he do? He starts to believe an implausible story. As a matter of fact, look at the 16th verse. When Herod heard the options about who Jesus might be and that some were saying that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead, verse 16 says, when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So he believed that Jesus was a resurrected John the Baptist. Now, which would be easier to believe? John the Baptist shared the message that a Messiah was coming and had now come, and that he was doing the miracles as a sign to attest to the fact that he is Messiah sent from God, or that a man that you just beheaded somehow had his head reattached and resurrected. John would have never taught that he himself was going to be resurrected. He would have taught that Jesus the Messiah had come, and that they needed to receive him as the one sent by God. But for Herod, because he wanted to reject the truth of the message about who Jesus is, believed an implausible explanation over the truth. And you know, that's what a lot of people do. Present the truth of God's revelation. It rings true in their hearts. They hear it and they say, that seems reasonable. That seems to be something that makes sense. As a matter of fact, when we look at the 20th verse, look a little bit later, it said that Herod would hear John, considered him a holy man, and that he liked to listen to him. So there was something about John that rang true, something that Herod heard that he said makes sense, and yet... Rather than listening to the words that John shared, which were a revelation about Jesus, he believed an implausible report. And again, this is something that we find many people do. Any explanation other than what God says about himself in his word is embraced. No matter how implausible, no matter how it comes across without the ring of truth, it's still embraced. Something else. Look again at the 16th verse. John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Do you get the impression that perhaps Herod had a bit of a guilty conscience about what he had done to John the Baptist? How did he identify him? He identified him as the man I beheaded. He took responsibility for what had happened. He understood that he was culpable. And so there's the ring of guilt that we find there with Herod. Now, when we come to the 15th verse, we find something else about rejectors. They readily accept human explanation over God's revelation. Notice verse 15, after it gives the explanation, perhaps Jesus is a resurrected John the Baptist, Others were saying in verse 15, he's Elijah. Now, you remember your Old Testament history, right? Elijah was a prophet who was taken up in a chariot of fire. So the theory was, Elijah was one who never died. Now he's come back to resume his ministry. And the reason that Jesus is able to do miracles is because he is Elijah who was sent back from heaven to do work here among us. Once again, no revelation had been given concerning this. And 
What we find in Old Testament revelation concerning the idea that Elijah would come back and do ministry, we find in Malachi chapter 5, or 4, verse 5, which says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, what Malachi is saying about Elijah is he would precede the Messiah establishing his kingdom. Really, John the Baptist fulfilled more of the role of Elijah than Jesus. And yet, here is Herod considering that as an option. And here are many people also considering that as an option rather than saying Jesus is the Messiah promised by God. Look at the other explanation. Still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. Again, Any explanation but what was given. When Jesus presented himself in his teaching, who did he present himself as? He presented himself as God's anointed, the one sent from the Father to take away the sin of the world. And when John presented Jesus, how did John present Jesus? We have John's own words. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Again, John's own words, teaching concerning Jesus, that he wasn't just a prophet, that he wasn't just an option like John raised from the dead. He wasn't any of these things. He was the Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. You know, again, people try to recast Jesus apart from the revelation that God has given us. God clearly tells us who Jesus is, and yet there are many people today who will say, you know, Jesus is a good man. He's he's, he's a prophet. He's a good teacher. Listen, what Jesus said about himself and what John the Baptist said about Jesus makes it clear that Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a man. He is God who came and took on flesh to die on the cross to pay for our sin. And if people are saying that Jesus was a good man or a prophet, he would be a false prophet for what he said about himself if he's not indeed God who came amongst us to live amongst us, die for us that we might have the forgiveness of sin. He wouldn't be a good teacher at all. He wouldn't be a prophet at all if what he said about himself weren't true. Jesus proclaimed very clearly who he was. And even though we have Herod, who heard this clearly from John the Baptist while he was imprisoned and came to speak to Herod on numerous occasions, Herod rejected it. Rejected it at its face. Now, something else that we see about rejectors. Rejectors reject because they resist the truth because of a hard heart. You know, there's a tendency on all of us to be defensive when it comes to sin. We love to call sin on other people, but when it comes to our own sin, not so much. Nobody wants to take responsibility for sin, and what we find with Herod and with many others is 
Responsibility for sin is never acknowledged, and certainly we find that here. Look as we come to the 17th verse. In verse 17, it talks about the context between John the Baptist and Herod. Now, notice verse 17 says this, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, what's going on here? When we look at the Herods, it's really an ancient soap opera that's twisted as it can be. The dad, Herod the Great, and by the way, that is a misnomer. There was nothing great about this Herod. They were all puppet kings that were put into place by Rome. They had no authority other than the authority that Rome gave them. Herod the Great was responsible for the murder of children in Bethlehem under two years old when Jesus was born. And he had several sons. Three of the sons were selected to be tetrarchs, that is, rulers in various regions when Herod the Great died. So what Rome did was it busted up the kingdom. It said, we'll give responsibility to differing brothers. So, one of the brothers has a daughter. And her name is Herodias. And this brother then gives his daughter in marriage to her uncle, Herod Philip. Now, that constitutes incest. It's not according to the law, but they're not concerned about the law anyway, so who cares? So here's Herodias, the niece married to Uncle Phil, and things aren't going so well with Uncle Phil, so Uncle Agrippa casts an eye over in Herodias' direction And we don't want to fool around with the whole issue of divorce and remarriage and all that. So you know what? I'm just going to take her to be my wife now. Even though she's my brother Philip's wife-niece, now she'll become my wife-niece, (laughs) sister-in-law. Do you get the picture? Messed up, right? So rather than looking at this and saying... You know, I've done wrong. Herod decides to shoot the messenger, so to speak. When John the Baptist preaches against the sin that is taking place in the leadership of their region, Herod has him thrown in jail. But not only is Herod angry with him, we find that Herodias the wife, niece, sister-in-law, wants to have him killed. In fact, when we look at verse 17, it says that while he was imprisoned, he did this because of Herodias' brother's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So, now look at verse 19. Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, the way this is framed in the original language, wanted to kill him isn't just a passing thought. 
where she looked and said, he makes me so mad, I wish he'd die. And then went off not thinking about it. It was an ongoing plot and desire on her part. She filed it away in the grudge file and said, as soon as opportunity presents itself, he's a dead man. All because John the Baptist shared the word of God. Leviticus 2021, if a man marries his brother's wife, it is an act of impurity. He has dishonored his brother. They will be childless. John was sharing the very word of God. And yet, here she is, rejecting all that God says in his word, choosing to live the way she wanted to live, and she put out a private vendetta against John the Baptist. You know, it's interesting how people respond when sin is called out. Very often they become more angry with the messenger because they know in their hearts that what they have done is wrong, but they don't want it discussed. They don't want anyone identifying their sin. It's easier to just sweep things under the rug and keep them there rather than deal with the sin that I have in my heart. And that's what rejectors do. Their sin is more important to them than being right before God. And so they reject God to hold on to the sin. And that's what we find with Herod Agrippa, and that's what we find with Herodias. They were engaged in sin and wouldn't let it go. And rather than listening to the words of a righteous man... They rejected the message wholeheartedly. And this is what we find in addition. When we resist the truth, respect for righteousness means nothing for eternity. Now, we find a curious turn in the plot. In the 19th verse, after it states that Herodias wanted to kill John the Baptist, it gives an explanation as to why she didn't pull it off. And notice it says this, she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a holy man. Now, isn't it interesting that even with evil people, they have certain lines that they won't cross? And the thinking goes something like this, I may be an adulterer, an occasional murderer, but I don't kill righteous people. I throw them in jail and let them rot, but I'm not going to pull the trigger. I'm not going to kill them. The idea is I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as, you know, pick your favorite person who's worse than you, perceived to be. And that's what Herod was doing. He looked at John the Baptist, and there was a recognition that he's a righteous and holy man. And you know what's interesting? Some people have this concept. Hey, if I hang out with righteous people, then maybe if I don't do anything too terrible to the righteous people, somehow that wins me points. And I won't be held as accountable by God if he really exists. It's kind of an insurance policy. And you know, this concept can creep its way into our thinking in a lot of levels. You know, I don't really live for Christ, but as long as I come to church occasionally, then that offsets it somehow, and God will be pleased. 
You ever met someone who thinks that? Or behaves that way? God isn't impressed. It accomplishes nothing. When I was a young person, I had a friend whose father was really a piece of work. He was a local realtor and had a secretary that he had an ongoing affair with. And he would actually bring his sons as a ruse to go do work, but wind up with this woman in various locations committing adultery. He had no interest in changing his lifestyle and no interest in spiritual things apart from befriending some of the area pastors. He was very generous to them. He would give them gifts. He would talk about how he had spoken with and hung out with this pastor or this pastor. When he found out I was going into ministry, I immediately went up his list. And it was almost as though this man had the concept that if he was nice to pastors, that somehow that would curry favor with God. And you sense that perhaps that's what's going on with Herod. He protected him knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. But here's the problem. You can't play it both ways. You can't do unrighteous things and try and reserve a compartment of your life where you say, I'm going to do right here, because eventually they clash. They run into each other, and you have to make a decision. Am I going to do what's right Or am I going to continue to do wrong? And that's what we're going to find with Herod. He was trying to play it both ways, protecting John while he imprisoned him because he knew he was a righteous man. And then look, as we continue at verse 20, where it says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled. And I think the NIV does a good job of translating this because here's the idea. Herod was hearing John's messages and John was sharing God's truth in such a clear way. As Herod would hear John share it, again, there was the ring of truth. He liked to hear what John had to say and yet there wasn't the willingness to make a commitment to actually do anything about it. And here's what we need to recognize. Simply hearing the Word of God and doing nothing with it does not impress God. God does not want us to just be hearers of the Word. He wants us to be doers also. James says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. To come and sit under the Word and say, Wow, you know, interesting passage this morning, some interesting points. Now I'm going to go out and do what I want to do. We have the responsibility of saying, I've heard the Word of God. I'm not matching up. I need to confess and turn from my sin and deal with it. Herod wasn't willing to do that. Oh, he would listen to John's sermons. And what I find unusual is he even liked listening to him. It was something where he said, wow, this is really, really something. Very, very interesting. But 
it had no effect on him whatsoever. And again, we can't help but bring this up into our day. There are so many people who will listen to messages and even talk about a favorite pastor or a favorite passage or something of that nature. But when you look at their life on a daily basis, not affected in the least by the Word of God. They choose to do whatever they want to do with no regard for what God has said. They find themselves in league with Herod Agrippa. And that's a bad place to be. A final thought. We're required to eventually decide what we will do with the truth. And here's what we need to understand. Remaining neutral can't continue on and on. When we see the story of Herod and John unfold, we come to a place where Herod has to make a decision. In verse 21, it says this, Finally, the opportune time came. Now, I find that introductory comment in the 21st verse to be very telling. Remember, the passage had talked about Herodias who was in the background plotting, constantly thinking, how can I kill John the Baptist? So what does she do? She waits. She waits for a birthday party that Herod was going to have. And we pick it up there, and it goes on to say, on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials, military commanders, and leading men of Galilee. So anyone who was anyone was at his party, and it was a showcase. Now, it was all men. And by the way, when it says banquet, it doesn't mean that just food was served. It was more or less given... Herod's moral compass, a stag party. And so here are all these men reveling, engaging in copious amounts of alcohol. And let me just give a side note on this. When you go to a drinking party, bad things happen. Okay? When you throw a drinking party, bad things happen. And certainly we find that to be the case here with Herod. The scripture goes on. And it says in verse 22 that there was a daughter of Herodias. Now, we find Josephus tells her name. It's Salome. And she comes and she dances. And the way it's framed in the Scripture, she's described as a girl. Now, when the Scripture uses girl in this text, it doesn't mean like a little girl. It means a girl of marrying age. And here's the thing. When she comes to dance in front of Herod and all of these dignitaries, it would have been considered indecent in their culture for a woman to perform a dance in a room full of only men especially at a drunken party. And we get the impression that the dance that she did wasn't a celebration of the arts. It was something that was meant to seduce. It was meant to be provocative. It was designed to be something that would cause Herod to respond as a man. 
And so here she is dancing, and apparently it must have been some dance, but we must also bear in mind alcohol was involved. So here is Herod, and he responds to her dance by making an oath. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now it must have really been a dance for up to half the kingdom when we hear that, right? But here's the thing, up to half my kingdom, we've seen this other times in scripture. What's with all the kings saying you can have up to half my kingdom? It was a figure of speech. Nobody would be foolish enough to say, okay, yeah, I'll take half your kingdom. Reason being, they wouldn't enjoy their half very long. The king would take them out, okay? I'll enjoy being half a king for half a minute before I'm executed. But what it did mean was, you know, name a high price. Name something significant. And so this is what he asks of the girl. So look at verse 24. She went out. And said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And look at the mother's decision. The head of John the Baptist. Here's opportunity. I've been looking to kill him. Herod just made an oath in front of all of these men. So I'm going to seize the opportunity. I'm going to take out the man who said that I sinned by being married to two brothers at one time. treacherous. But you know, that's what sin does. So, verse 25, at once the girl hurried in to the king with this request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, I think it's significant that she says right now. You know why? She didn't want Herod to have time to sober up or to figure out a way to weasel out of his promise. She wanted it immediate. So here's Herod. He fears John the Baptist because he's a righteous and holy man. He knows that he's incarcerated for a reason that really isn't justifiable. And now he's to be executed. If I execute this holy and righteous man... Wow, I've done something that I, even I consider to be wrong. And yet, on the other side, he has peer group pressure. I made a promise, and in the East, promises and oaths are important, except, of course, the marriage oath in this particular case. But he had made an oath. He had made it in front of all of the leadership so he would lose face. And even though in his heart he knew that it was wrong to execute John the Baptist, he did it anyway. You know, don't we find this happen often? Once you start to dabble in sin, the bar keeps getting higher and higher, and it's easier and easier to pass under it. You find that the lines that you at one time were unwilling to cross are easy to cross. And you have to make a choice. 
You have to make a decision. And in the moment, you have to make that decision right away. And listen, if you don't have a moral compass based on the truth and revelation of God, you'll make the wrong decision every time. And that's what Herod did. Tragic decision. Because after the girl says this, verse 26, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. That brings us to our last point. Regret won't change a hard heart that chooses to do wrong. I find verse 26 to be amazing. He was greatly distressed. When she asked for the execution of John the Baptist, Herod knew that what he was about to do was wrong. And he wrestled over it. Isn't it amazing that some people, even as they're doing wrong, think, if I feel bad about doing the wrong, then at least that's something. Somehow people will see that my heart was in the right place, and even though I did something that is heinous and evil and wicked, because I feel bad about it, it's okay. That's where we see Herod in this instance. Greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. In other words, it was more important to save face than to do right. And that's what we find. When you try to play it both ways, eventually you're put in that place where you have to make a decision. Am I going to do what's right or am I going to do what's wrong? Right now in the moment, doing the wrong thing looks more attractive and easier. But doing the right thing is still doing the right thing, and I need to think about that. We all know what it is to have pressure. Maybe it's a boss that wants you to do something that's shady. And you look at it and you say, wow, you know, as a Christian, I do this and, and, and I know that it's wrong and I know that it's not right before God. But yet if I don't, my boss is going to really lower the boom. He might even fire me and I can't afford to lose my job. You put in a difficult position. You're being tested. Perhaps it's interaction with another person. Boy, it would be easy to gossip about this person and gain an advantage over them by running their name down. You're faced with a decision. Maybe it's in following Christ. You're out with a bunch of friends and they want to go do something that you know is not right. And it's always so awkward to have to take a stand. I'm so tired of being called a prude or goody-two-shoes. I'm just sick of it. And you want to cave. Listen, there's always a cost for caving. And that cost is a hardening of the heart. And certainly that's what we see here 
with Herod. He hardened his heart. He came to the place to where, yeah, he felt regret about what he was doing, but it didn't change the hard heart that chose to do what he did. We need to understand that. At times, there's a temptation for any of us to be a rejecter, isn't there? At times, it's easy for any of us to cave. But when we choose to go ahead and cave, we're heading down a dangerous road. What Herod did in making this decision was enhance his view in the eyes of men, probably made his wife happy because he finally did what she had been nagging him to do right along. But here's the amazing thing about Herod. He had a chance for a redo. Do you realize that during part of Jesus' trial, he appeared before Herod Agrippa? Now, Jesus didn't say a word because of the way he had treated John the Baptist. But Herod took that as an opportunity to continue to enhance his view in the eyes of other people, rejected Jesus, sent him back to Pilate. And the interesting statement that we find in Scripture is that Pilate and Herod became good friends after what he did to Jesus by ridiculing him rather than listening. We need to understand that also Herod, according to history, only held on to his kingdom for a few years. You know what happened? Somebody else raised up, kicked him out, exiled him. So the kingdom and all of the influence that he stood up for, gone in a matter of just a couple of years. Sometimes the things that we look at and say this is so important in the moment turn out to be just grains of sand that just sort of run through the hands that we can't hold on to anyway. And that's certainly the case with Herod. Rejectors are people who bring about tragic results. Look at verse 27. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back the head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Sad story. A tragedy. A righteous, holy man suffered at the hands of the unrighteous. And what we recognize is this has happened throughout history. And it happens today. There are righteous people who stand up for the truth of God to the peril of their own lives. We see Christians persecuted around the world because they refuse to deny Christ. But here's the truth. We have a hope. We have a Messiah. John the Baptist will be raised to life. The kingdom that he proclaimed will come and he will reign with Christ. He will be a part of that kingdom, rewarded for his faithful service. 
Herod, if, as we suspect, he never came to a place to where he trusted Christ, had all of the good that he could possibly have while on this earth. But in eternity, he must give an account for the evil that he did. Which makes more sense? The immediate pleasure of what you experience here and now, or the eternal dividends that come from faithfulness to the Lord. This passage gives us insight into the attitudes and ideas of a rejecter. But it's also a staunch warning to us. We can take on the attitudes of a rejecter as well. So be careful. Guard your heart. Don't allow the attitudes of Herod Agrippa to be found in your own heart, in your own decisions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the warning that it is to us all. May we not be one who rejects, but one who seeks the true revelation that you give in your word, that we might live in a way that pleases you and honors you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do want to invite you back at 6 p.m. tonight. Ballet 5-8 will be here. And I had the privilege of getting to see them about a week and a half ago. And it was incredible.